Hi everybody, welcome back to another episode of Midwest Madness, your true crime cult conspiracy encrypted podcast. I'm Emily. And I'm Danielle. Happy Tuesday. <laughs> it's like, what is she going to say next? Happy Tuesday. Happy Tuesday. Uh, we hope you guys had a good Valentine's Day if you uh, celebrate. I don't. I hope it's miserable. <laughs> Just kidding. If you are in love, that's so great for you. <laughs> The rage. <laughs> the rage in that statement. No, like, so good for you. Good for you. <laughs> good for fucking you. <laughs> I celebrated Galentine's Day. I think you and your friends did the day after. Yeah, we did Thursday. Yeah, because it was Tuesday. Yep. And so I sent all my friends like, happy Galentine's Day. And I actually did send my friends things that got there on Valentine's Day, but that was unintentional. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, just a little... Made little candy packets. It was fun for them and their kids. And just one one got one with her partner and they got like a little hair clip and a little flower hair clip and everything. So it was fun. Cool. I don't really have much to say. Do you? I feel like I never really do. So. Yeah. I, yeah, I guess we can just. I feel like we can just get right into it. Right into it. Yeah. I mean, I guess we're going on our trip this week. Yes. We God, I can't believe it's already this week. Finally leave. I'm so excited. I can tell. I can see it on your face. That little smile to, like, that get starts. Too excited about it, but are you? It's hard, so. Are you gonna stay at mom and dad's the night before? I'm assuming. Yeah. Okay. Because I think it's gonna be me, you, okay, and Tom. Serious, I'll have to be there. Oh yeah, and Tom. I think Tom will be there, unless Tom stays with Ellie and John. I don't know why he would, but. Yeah, oh. so pretty excited about that. I don't know if I'm going to even sleep before. We have to leave at like 3 in the morning. Yeah. I'm like, why? <laughs> 3 seems a little early, in my opinion. Well, isn't our flight at like 5? 6. Oh, I thought mom said 3, that we had to leave at 3. Oh, God. The, can, real quick, let me get off <laughs> on a tangent Let's just here. talk about... Pause real fast. Boomers and I'll travel. I'll do this really fast, okay. I promise. <laughs> I'm here for it. In what world do you need to get to the airport two and a half hours early for a 6 a.m. flight on a Friday? Also, we all have TSA pre Yeah, we all have TSA pre-checks. So, like, right. The only thing that I could see taking any real time is checking in our bags. Right. And realistically, that takes 25 minutes at the most. At the most. If they have a self-serve kiosk, it's yeah, like... Five? Literally. <laughs> yeah. I can't actually tell you the last time I checked a bag. It makes me super, super anxious. I as a as don't, a I don't. Yeah, I'm, I don't know. It's for me as a fat girl. I just don't like doing it because I'm always scared. I'm not. They're gonna lose my bag and then I won't have any clothes for the whole trip. You don't have to check a bag. But with the layover or the connecting and how tight that's gonna be, that makes me even more nervous about checking a bag. I know. So I just don't know. I don't know my what whole, I'm gonna do. Whole point was. Like, Why are we I leaving would so early? up at, like, <laughs> if our flight's at 6 a.m., you board at 6.30, I'm rolling up at... No, 5.30. Or 5.30, I'm rolling up at 4.45. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you. Like, 5.30, or 4.30 at the at earliest. The earliest. Oh, f- yeah, for Because sure. then I don't have to, like, run through the airport. I can just, like, okay, I can get there. I can, like, sit down for, like, 20 minutes, and then I can get on the plane. I don't even need to sit. I need to pee. And I'm good. Yeah, that's like, that's true. That's true. That's it. I just yeah. So that's funny. I I'm I sure know. you're right. I'm sure they'll want to leave early, but uh, whatever. Okay, my tangent is done. 
should I should we get into my we certainly my can episode? we certainly can I all I know is your state so I don't know anything else yeah um so I'm going to be telling the story of the Claypool hotel murders oh which are two murders that happened in the same hotel within I think it was like 11 years of each other that's suspicious one of the murders has been solved and the other one is unfortunately unsolved to this day so uh we we're gonna head to Indiana and talk about yeah, the Claypool Hotel murders. So, All right. Interesting. I'm intrigued. Now, the Claypool Hotel was located in downtown Indianapolis and was built in 1903 by Henry Lawrence with the financial backing of millionaire Edward Fay Claypool. At the time, the Claypool Hotel held the title for the biggest lobby in the country. Fun fact. Huh. It also had large meeting rooms, 450 guest rooms, each with its own bathroom, which at the time was a new idea that was actually denounced by the National Hotelman Society or so- Association. Sorry. That sounds horrifying. Yeah. Like what? <laughs> Communal bathroom. Did the, yeah. Was it like a dorm Having where you had to like bathroom. shower in like a terrible I, idea? I hate that. To these I... people, so. Thank God for the uh, Claypool. Yeah. And its location near the state house made it a popular destination for politicians from both the Democratic and Republican parties. Okay. It had Turkish baths, a swimming pool, and even a rooftop garden. I this might be a stupid question. What is a Turkish bath? I think it's just like a communal like bath. Is it like a big hot tub, basically? Basically. Okay, yeah. that's kind of what I was picturing, but I wasn't positive. I so. would love to go to a bathhouse. There is one in Minneapolis. I've been trying to go for is a really there? long time. Is it just really expensive or no, really packed? Just, nobody will go with me. Well, if you would have asked. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like we have some plans to make. Uh, okay. It was an elegant and beautiful hotel that was the only place to stay if you were a celebrity or someone who had money. In 1914, the hotel expanded, adding roughly 150 more guest rooms, bringing the total to 600. And yeah does this place still stand no it's okay. gone i was it gonna say closed. if it still stood that'd be really impressive in like the 1960s i believe it is okay was. and then now it's a they built an embassy suites okay so our story takes place in 1943 when many people believe that the downfall of the claypool hotel began on august 28th 1943 during the height of world war ii may Mayoma L. Riddings, who was a 33-year-old at the time and from Warm Springs, Georgia, was serving in the Women's Army Corps at Camp Atterbury. She was on leave that night, and she had headed into Indianapolis for a date. At around 8 p.m. that same night, a housekeeper at the Claypool Hotel made a terrible discovery in room 729. There on the floor was Moema she had been beaten and slashed with what police believe was a bro- broken whiskey bottle that they also found in the room with her body. Some reports say that she was found half nude, while others stated that she had been found clothed in a slip re- um, regulation WAC shirt. I think that's like a woman's army corps shirt. Yeah, that makes sense. A skirt and stockings. Police, so like her clothes. Her uniform, okay. essentially, it seems like. Okay. Police did believe that the whiskey bottle had been brought by Mioma herself. Within days of her murder, police were on the lookout for a, quote, dark-haired woman in black who had been seen with Mioma in her room about three hours before her body had been discovered. Police believe that this woman was the last person to see her alive. 
A bellboy at the hotel was also briefly arrested and detained for questioning, but he was ultimately let go when talking to him led nowhere. Okay. Although thousands of tips were checked out and followed up on, to this day, Mayowa's murder remains unsolved. The second case we're going to talk about today is definitely the more infamous of the two. Uh, this one is known as the dresser drawer murder. Oh. It was July of 1954 when 18-year-old Dorothy Poor came to Indianapolis in search of employment in the civil services. She came from the small town of Clinton, Indiana, and knew that she wanted a better life for herself. And to start off, she needed to find a better-paying career, which she thought she could find in Indianapolis versus her own small hometown. Which, which makes yeah, sense. Does make sense. On this particular trip into the city, Dorothy was supposed to be staying with an old classmate of hers named Shirley Coletti and her aunt and uncle. Dorothy had promised her parents that she would call them when she arrived to Shirley's house that Thursday night, but the call never came. Her mom, Hazel, wasn't too worried, though, knowing that Dorothy was scheduled to be home that Saturday. So she was like, okay, we'll just let it slide. It's fine. Right. But when that Saturday, Saturday came and Dorothy never returned, this is when her mom began to worry. She first phoned Shirley's aunt and uncle, asking them if she was still with them. But they told her that Dorothy had never had called on Thursday night, stating it was pretty late and she had decided to just get a hotel room for the night. And Dorothy had never ended up showing up to their house, even. It makes the next me day. Oh, like I'm not I'm not trying to blame anybody or I'm not trying to like say shoulda shoulda shoulda. But, like, I do find that a little strange that they wouldn't have raised the alarm. Like, been like, hey, she never showed up. Like, we should maybe look into this. Isn't that, don't you find that just a little odd? Um. Or am I just, like, I think you're reading too much into it? I think you're reading too much into it. To me, it's, like, I think about, I... I'll put myself in their shoes where this isn't someone they even know. Like, it's just their niece's friend. That's true. Uh, she's an adult, essentially. She can make her own decisions. So, in my mind, if they if she calls and says, hey, I'm just going to get a hotel, and then she just doesn't come the next day, I w- in my mind, I would just assume, okay, she just is staying at the hotel. So, yeah, to I sp- me, I suppose. It, it doesn't. I don't. If I was in the same situation, would I have been like, like would I looked into it more, especially in the 1940s right. or 50s at this point? I don't even know what I would do, you know? I just uh, like, yeah, I, I see what you're saying. I just feel like I personally would be like, now especially, I would just text and be like, hey, um, your friend never showed up at my place. Like, is that normal behavior you know i don't know but i'm just kind of i guess i'm suspicious of people yeah <laughs> um not to completely derail you sorry that's fine so okay so saturday morning two maids at the claypool hotel ella may bobby and julia bell were going about and doing their duties cleaning rooms on the sixth floor of the hotel when they entered room 665, they were immediately hit with an overpowering rotting smell. Oh, and no. from what they could tell, it was coming from the dresser located in the room. They both agreed that they obviously needed to find the source of the smell, but they also both agreed that they didn't want to be the ones to have to do it. 
totally fair totally fair (laughs) so they called another employee of the hotel william kimbrough to come and help investigate when he entered the room he had to resist the urge to gag oh that's really bad then he carefully walked over to the dresser and began to open the drawers scared what he might find both the top and middle drawers of the dresser were empty so whatever was making the terrible smell must have been in the bottom drawer Instead of just opening up the bottom drawer himself, he decided to take out the middle drawer altogether and look down into the bottom drawer. That's smart. And what he found was the bloated body of a person. William immediately left the room and called hotel management, who then phoned Indianapolis police. When they arrived, they were able to determine that the body in the drawer was a young woman who was only in her bra, underwear, and a slip. Although the bloating of the body was too much, the police couldn't see any obvious signs of what may have caused her death. They also knew that she didn't stuff herself into the bottom of a dresser drawer. No, that would be uh, pretty impressive. Kind of assumed that something, you know, bad had happened. The hotel at the time's air conditioning wasn't working properly and Indianapolis was going through a heat wave, which made the decomposition of the body much greater. The first thing that police did was see who the room was registered to, and they found it was a man named John O'Shea. He had a New York City address and had rented the room for a couple days over the weekend, but he had never checked out of the room. Gosh, I wonder why. Seeing that the room was registered to him, he became police's prime suspect. Witnesses described John as a well-dressed man in his mid-30s. He had also told people that he worked in finance. In the hotel room, a woman's handbag was found stuffed in the radiator, and in the closet, shoved in the back, were a pair of women's blue jeans, a white blouse, a pair of sandals, and a broken blue belt. I feel like he's really bad at hiding things. Yeah. The coroner was able to ID the woman, as you guessed it, 18-year-old Dorothy Poor. She had been dead for approximately 36 hours, meaning she had been placed in the dresser either sometime late Thursday or early on Friday. Again, her body was still bloated, that it was hard to determine her cause of death, but they assumed that she had either been strangled or smothered with a pillow. Okay. Just because there was no other obvious signs of... Okay, so there wasn't like a stab wound or a gunshot or anything? No. Uh, Detectives were able to determine that Dorothy had not been a registered guest at the Claypool Hotel, but she had been one at the Lorraine Hotel. Detectives did find all of her belongings at this hotel, but they didn't find anything that would point to her killer. Witnesses at the Lorraine did describe seeing Dorothy that Thursday night leaving the hotel in the same clothes that were found in the closet at the clay pool. The only reason they could come up with that Dorothy would have gone to that room that night was that Dorothy was going to meet with John for a job interview. But Dorothy's mom, Hazel, wasn't so sure because she was adamant that Dorothy would not have gone into a hotel room with a man she didn't know unless she was forced to. Police focused on trying to find their main suspect, John. They learned that he had checked in on Thursday, then on Friday paid to stay in the room throughout the weekend. So one source I read said through the weekend, one source said just another day, like through Saturday. Okay. So. Uh, On Friday, two maids went to clean John's room and found that he was still in it. They said they had a pleasant conversation with him before leaving the room. Hotel staff stated that John never checked out of his room, although obviously he was gone. Witnesses described seeing John and Dorothy in the hotel elevator together on Thursday night. 
the elevator operator because you know at the time oh had people yeah, yeah who operated the elevators right. that, that the two were very affectionate with each other and john called dorothy his sweetheart the first break for police came when a man named Morris Riskin contacted them after seeing a sketch of the suspect in the local paper saying he looked like a former employee of his at his local laundry and cleaning company. That employee's name, however, was Victor Lively. Riskin stated that Victor was very over the top when it came to women, even yelling at them from like down the street. So like a cat collar kind of thing? I don't really know. That's just all it said. Okay. When police uh, saw a picture of Victor, they agreed that the resemblance to their suspect, John, was uncanny. And when they showed the photo to Claypool Hotel staff, they all said that the man in the photo was 100% John O'Shea. So with this piece of information, they switched their focus for to searching for Victor Lively, who they had found out was staying at another hotel in, in the Indianapolis area at the time. So he... He didn't go to another hotel after it was before. Okay. Uh, he had stayed in another hotel in Indianapolis area under his real name. When they compared the signatures on the two hotel forms, the handwriting was an exact match. Victor had a history of criminal activity and sexual assault in Texas and was known not to be a good person. He had placed ads in the local paper advertising jobs for local women when they called, he would bring them to a local hotel for an interview, which always turned into something sexual. Police in LaGrange, Illinois, also contacted police in Indianapolis, telling them that Victor had worked as a cab driver in their area for a short time, and many different women had contacted them, filing complaints against him, many of them sexual in nature. So, quick question. Um, with, with the place that he works was he was that still new york or was that all a lie like was he from indianapolis i i got a little lost there because you said his boss or former boss uh-huh. contacted police was that former boss in indianapolis and he was just staying at hotels to like pick up women yeah okay that's what i thought but i just new york wanted, is a lie that's what i thought i just oh, wanted the whole like persona is a lie okay yeah. i wanted to just be clear so okay thanks Police in Indianapolis were certain they had found their guy, but they couldn't actually physically locate him. Several days after the murder, police in St. Louis County, Illinois, were driving along Route 66 west of St. Louis, Illinois, not Missouri, Okay. when they came across a man on the side of the road. They kept driving, but the man had looked familiar to one of the deputies for some reason. With this sitting on his mind, he grabbed the newspaper they had with him, which featured a story about Dorothy's death and a description of the man they were looking for, along with a photo and name. Stop Victor it. Lively. The man they saw on the side of the road looked exactly like him, so they turned around and found him walking still on the shoulder. When they pulled up to talk to him, he stated that he was hitchhiking his way back to Texas. And when they asked him for ID, he stated he had none on him, but his name was Victor Lively. And they found their man. So the two. It's shocking to me that he did not realize he was being looked for. If it was in the paper that far away. I don't know how far away. Well, but I mean, a different state, right? Yeah. So at least a different state away. It's kind of shocking that he he thought his lie of John was so good that he could just tell the police his real name. That's crazy to me. I don't 
really know if he thought his lie was so good i just think well whatever the case was i just yeah it's i find it really surprising that he was just like oh this is who i actually am oh yeah i don't know the two officers took him into custody and brought him back to the sheriff's office for questioning they learned that he had been living and working in east st louis illinois as a salesman He told his boss that his wife was visiting friends in Indianapolis that weekend and he was going to visit her. Again, another lie, I'm assuming. Yeah, as far as I know, he was not married. Okay. In Indianapolis, he checked into first the Kirkwood Hotel where he asked staff if he could have a woman brought to his room. Staff obviously refused. Uh, He stayed one night there. so creepy. Before checking out and moving to the Claypool Hotel. On his way, he asked his cab driver if he could hook him up with a sex worker, and the cab driver also refused. A few days later, he walked out of the Claypool Hotel and returned to East St. Louis. His boss said that he was more agitated when he returned, like he was always on edge, and Victor eventually went to his boss, demanded he pay him early, and he left to hitchhike to Texas, where deputies found him. Victor eventually did an end up confessing to killing Dorothy. He stated that he had checked out of the Kirkwood Hotel, spent most of the day drinking before checking into the Claypool Hotel. He stated that a cab driver, a different cab driver than the one I already the mentioned, previous one. Okay. had told him that he could hook him up with a sex worker, but it would be two women instead of one. So Victor took him up on it, and he returned to his room at the Claypool to wait for them. When the two women arrived, they stated their names were Dorothy and Ruth. They came in and stayed for a while before Ruth stated she wanted to leave, but Dorothy wanted to stay, so she did. He stated that Dorothy wanted to drink some gin, and when Victor said he didn't have any, he stated she flew into a rage and started to hit him. He said that he reached up to grab her arms, but ended up wrapping his hands around her neck, which, like, yeah, okay. You're going to mistake her neck for her arms? Yeah, oops. I don't know what body parts are. He then stated that he squeezed for a few minutes before she stopped struggling. So you're saying, like, you wanted to grab her arms, but then when you grabbed her neck, instead of moving to her arms, you just decided (laughs) to squeeze? You're like, sure, why not? This works. Makes sense. He said he, like, overthrow and then went to the bathroom to get a wet towel to try to revive her, but nothing worked, and he realized that she was dead. Well, and it's crazy, like... The, isn't it like seven minutes that it takes to strangle someone? It's like a crazy amount of time. Yeah. So try a better lie, dude, if you want people to actually believe you. He says he doesn't remember putting her body in the dresser, but he obviously must have. So that was his confession to the St. Louis County sheriffs. Uh, so they brought him back to Indianapolis and on his way, he told deputies that he had lied and would tell Indianapolis police the real story. This was that Dorothy and Ruth were not sex workers as he originally believed and that they were, quote, good girls. He stated that he had never been in an argument and Dorothy had never attacked him. He said that when Ruth left, he tried to have sex with Dorothy and she had refused. When he tried to force her, she started to scream and that's when he strangled her. On August 12th, Victor was indicted for Dorothy's murder, and when his murder trial began in November, he took the stand in his own defense and told everyone that both his confessions were forced and he didn't kill Dorothy. 
After nine hours of deliberation, he was found guilty of murder and sentenced to life in prison. That's a lot longer than I thought it would be. Nine hours is a long time. Yeah. Ow, ow. Sorry, I just got nailed. He was paroled in 1980 and died of heart disease in 1981. Yikes. Glad he was only around outside for a year. Yeah. Because he does not sound like a safe human to have wandering about. No, I agree. And that is the story of the two Claypool Hotel murders. They do believe that the two murders... uh, Kind of triggered the downfall. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that would make sense, but you wouldn't want to stay somewhere that has that reputation. Yeah. Yeah. So, there you go. (laughs) My sources were theindiencyclopedia.org, historicindianapolis.com, theindystar.com, and John Bracer, Bassard, sorry, John Junior.com. All right. Nice. Our socials are MW Madness Podcast on Instagram, and that is also our Gmail, and Midwest Madness Podcast Group on Facebook. Perfect. Well, we hope you all have a great rest of your week, and we will talk to you next Tuesday. Bye.